The Jericho Network on Westwood One. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to Rock Talk, and I am Mitch LaFawn. Joining me on this episode from Rob Zombie's band, it is guitarist John Five. He has a new album out called It's Alive. Definitely worth checking out. And on the other side of this, I have got from Loverboy. Yeah, that's right. Working for the weekend, loving every minute of it. The one, the only, Paul Dean. And of course, both uh, Loverboy and John Five have connections to Kiss. John being a huge, huge fan, but also friend of original drummer Peter Chris and Paul Dean. That's right. Uh, he covered the song Sword and Stone that Paul Stanley had written back in the 80s and the band's very, very first show in 1979 was opening for Kiss in Vancouver. How's that? How's that for a first show, right? Not playing some bar somewhere. You're actually on stage opening for Kiss. That is absolutely uh, the greatest story, the greatest rock story I think I, I can tell. But beyond that, uh, let us talk real quick about the scene of classic rock. It appears to me as though we're, we're reaching the end of the road. Alice Cooper in February, so now, just turned 70 years old. And uh, first of all, God bless his soul. I mean, just, just wow. It's amazing that at 70 years old, or even 69 and 68, he's able to go out and do 100 shows a year. I mean, the man just doesn't stop. And the shows are an absolute uh, pleasure each and every time. Still high quality, still in demand. Um, so that that is just f- fantastic. On the other side, since we're talking Kiss, Paul Stanley had his birthday in January, turning 66 years old. And I think we're just getting to that point where, you know, we're down to the last five years for classic rock bands, I think. There, there really doesn't seem to be much more space to go. I don't see Alice Cooper doing this at 80 years old. I mean, if he can, hey, I'm all for it. But uh, I think I think we're down to the uh, to the final countdown. Of course, Alice Cooper. I saw him for the first time. I'm trying to think here. It must have been on the Trash tour because, of course, through the um, middle '80s or the or the '80s, he, there was a time where he took a little break, and then he came back. And then I'm pretty sure he he stuck to the uh, to the U.S. and maybe some European dates. I don't recall having seen him in Montreal, and if he did, then I must have missed the show. So I first saw Alice Cooper on the Trash World Tour. That's what are we looking at? 89, 90, just an always a uh, phenomenal experience. So so listeners out there, if you've ever seen Alice Cooper, just uh, tweet to me at Mitch Lafon, M-I-T-C-H-L-A-F-O-N. Just tell me some of your Alice Cooper stories because I'm sure they're great and I'm sure they're varied. Um, anyway, um, let's get into John 5 here. Of course, being a Kiss fan, his album is called It's Alive because Kiss had Alive 1, Alive 2, Alive 3. And uh, there was actually a an, an Alive box set that featured sort of an Alive 4. By the way, speaking of Alive and Alive 1, 2, 3 and 4, we definitely need an Alive 5. I know that, of course, um, on the 2009 Sonic Boom tour, they had recorded some shows at Kobo Hall that never got released. They would certainly make a nice Alive 5 album. Also, if you look at the days of Animalized, again, down in Detroit, they had recorded that, I believe, for an MTV special, um, which aired. That would certainly be nice. Or, hey, I'm up to them going back through the vaults of... Asylum tour, Hot in the Shade tour, and all those tours, and just compiling songs that are live and make it a a live five album. I think we need that. And I think we also need a Kiss reunion tour. Yeah, that's right. I said it. I think we need a Kiss reunion tour, and I think the tour has to include Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulik, Ace Fraley, and of course Peter Chris. Let's get them all there. Let's, Let's do a act one, act two, you know. Let's do the 70s era, the 80s era, whatever it is. We need them all out there. What we also need is more Alice Cooper reunion shows with Michael Bruce, who was the guest on last episode. If you haven't heard that episode, head back uh, into the playlist there and check it out. It's Alice Cooper's Michael Bruce talking about his book, talking about his career, 
and there was also Dax Nielsen of Cheap Tricks. So that's a solid, if you want, classic rock episode. So go back and listen to that. But now, without further ado, and yes, I've said this before, I have a dude enough, I guess, right? Without further ado, you must have do at some point. Here is guitarist John Five. We are speaking to guitarist John Five. The new album is John Five and the Creatures. It's alive. It is their very, very first live album. Uh, John, always, always a great pleasure to uh, to be chatting with you. Hey, how you doing? Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, and so... Let me get right into uh, to this. Uh, it's alive. I, I mean, I know you're a big Kiss fan, so I love the title. You've got that sort of, you know, classic alive bent to it. But um, uh, beat it. You you covered the song "Beat It" on there, which is interesting. Uh, just talk to me about getting this album put together and and the choices made as to what sort of made the final cut. You, you know, with "Beat It," I always take songs that you know was a big influence on my life, a big epiphany, if you will. Um, and beat it was definitely one of those songs because Michael Jackson, when the song came out, Michael Jackson was just, you know, he could do no wrong. He was the greatest, the King of pop and having my favorite guitar player, Eddie Van Halen on there was like, it was just like the world just went crazy. So that, um, always had a closeness to my heart and I released it on um, an instrumental record of mine and people really enjoy it when we're doing the show and then a song they really know their whole life, you know, it's soundtrack of their life and I do an instrumental version and it's, it's really a lot of fun live. And, um, but how this came all about, this is what makes me so excited about this record is, you know, the band, that I had the creatures, Ian Ross and Logan, Miles Nix, the drummer, uh, they're very great musicians. And we, I were just obsessed with trying to do the best that we can live because this music is so difficult and it's a lot of fun. I always thought, man, I'd love to make a live record, but you know, it costs so much money. It's like kind of traveling with a recording studio you know, and we are, you know, just doing this for the love of the guitar and the love of music and for the fans. We don't have the finances to bring a recording studio to record a live album. And we were in Sellersville, Pennsylvania at the Sellersville Theater, a beautiful theater. And the guy said, hey, do you guys want to record tonight? And we were like, yeah. So, um you know, he gave us the fee and it was very reasonable. And we, you know, I talked to the crowd and that's on the record. You know, you've heard the record. I say, listen, we're recording tonight and that's why we're not jumping around. So, you know, we basically had one shot and I told the band this too. I was like, we have one shot to do this. So let's like, just watch each other and do as best as we can. And we captured such an amazing show, you know, and I'm proud of it. And it's, it's about as live as it's going to get. And that's what is very exciting to me about this record. Yeah. It really captures that, that live ambiance. And in fact, talk to me about maybe taking that sort of ethos into the studio, because we've gotten at this day and age so much into pro tools and so much into tweaking albums that we sort of forgot how early Sabbath and early Kiss and Led Zeppelin just sort of showed up, plugged in and played. Um, is that something that you, you, now that the album has, this live album is coming out and you've done it sort of straight to the board, you might want to say, hey, maybe for the next album, I'll just sort of plug and play and not worry so much about all flying this in and flying that in. Yeah, you know, it's it, that's that was the magic of it. And I was like, we didn't add crowd. We didn't do anything. Here's, I'm going to get a little technical. Um, I play through this thing called an ISO cab and it's an isolation cabinet. So you, it cuts out all of the, it's like a microphone inside this guitar cabinet. So it only records the guitar. And I do that for every live show I play for the best sound. So what happens right after the tour I did with the creatures, all my equipment went on the road with zombie, you know, it went right away to, uh, on Rob zombie. So 
there was, even if I screwed up horribly, horribly, um, we would have to cut the song uh, from the record and not, you know, because there's no way of overdubbing because that sound is so unique with that isolation cab. You can't overdub with something because it sounds so completely different. And that was what was scary, you know, there, <laughs> because if I messed up, you know, there was like no way of fixing it. So there was there wasn't even really any fixes except for one thing. I uh, Ian had the bass player had diarrhea like and i told the crowd that right and he said please don't put that on the record and i said okay so that's the only thing we really cut out of the record <laughs> but now everybody gets to gets to hear that story um looking at your career especially from the canadians perspective where where you've done stuff with katie lang and you've done stuff with avril lavigne um talk to me about sort of your guitar style and your approach because you're not just a heavy metal guy you're not just whatever a country you sort of cover the entire spectrum uh, talk to me about your approach to the to the instrument and, and adjusting for these different uh bands and situations that you've been put in now now where about before i answer that where about are you exactly when you're when you're call, where are you calling from i am calling from montreal quebec canada Okay. Okay. And it's bloody so, cold. <laughs> yeah, it is. Here's the thing. I love, and I'm not just saying that I've said this before. I love Canada so much and I want to do a Canadian tour so badly. And I'm telling my agent and we're actually trying to get this show in Vancouver and I love Toronto and of course, Montreal. I mean, these are great, great, great places that I'm trying to get to because I am such a fan of Canada. I mean, Toronto is like New York. I mean, it's incredible. It's so busy and moving and things are happening. It's, it really is pretty incredible. Um, and I really want to get to Canada and do a, do a tour. And I'm telling my agent <laughs> all the time, Hey, let's go to Canada. Let's get to Canada. So, um, it's funny you, you, you brought that up because I was just talking to him about that the other day. It's, it's a great place to play. Um, and in fact, one of the last times I interviewed you in person was at Heavy Montreal in uh, Canada, which was 2014, maybe, that you, that you guys played there? Way too long ago. Yeah. Way too long ago. Yeah, definitely time so, for a return. Yeah. But, but, but talk to me about sort of adjusting your style because... You know, I look at somebody like Eddie Van Halen, who is a fantastic guitarist. We're not even going to debate that. But I couldn't see him necessarily playing with a Katie Lang. I couldn't necessarily see him writing a song or being on a Leonard Skinner album. You have that adaptability. Just just talk to me about sort of that, your approach to the instrument and your approach to these different sort of situations. It was like, with the guitar, it was like I wanted to learn everything I could about the guitar. It's just like a different language. I was like, Oh my God, I want to speak, you know, Japanese and I want to speak, you know, German and French and Italian and all these things. That's how I was with guitar. I wanted to learn everything, not just the chords, but what it really all meant. Open tunings and finger picking and banjo rolls and, you know, Western swing and jazz and classical. I, I was obsessed with learning as much as I could for some odd reason. I don't know why. And that's what I still do today. I was playing guitar right before you called. I play all the time. Right. And it's I see that on Instagram. You know, if we ever follow your Instagram yeah. account, you're always putting up a little video of you doodling on something. And, and it's absolutely enthralling and fascinating. I sit and I watch them because... Here's the guy in Rob Zombie, Marilyn Manson's band, and you're jamming out just anything. And it's great. It's just great. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun. I do it just for the love of the guitar. I'm so, you know, I just, it's very comforting to me. It's like having your blanket with you. But I, I don't know. I was always obsessed with learning everything I could. So 
before when I got into music, I didn't even get into rock. I was into um, country and, and bluegrass and stuff like that. And my parents listened to it. And I, I remember because of a kid, a little boy I saw playing banjo and I was so blown away by him that I was like, that's what I want to do. And, and it really stuck with me. It changed my life. And, um, that's why I love all these different kinds of styles of music. I'm just obsessed with it. Yeah. And, and it's just great to hear. Um, now just quickly speaking of 2014 at the time, uh, our original Kiss drummer, Peter Chris had said that he was working on an album with you and that he was going to take his time. And, and here we are in 2018. And of course it hasn't seen the light of day. Um, did you work with Peter at the time? Was it something that actually materialized? Is it something that you still might work on? And of course, just talk to me in general about your sort of your friendship with Peter, because it goes back a long, long way. Yeah, Peter is one of my great, great, great friends. I talk to him all the time, all the time, every other day at least, you know. So he is uh, one of the best people I know, and he is working on music. So I don't know what he's going to do with it, but he did this jazz thing and it's some of the best music I've heard in years. I'm not involved in it, but he did this jazz thing that it's like unbelievable. And we sat right in my driveway in my car and he played it for me and I'll never forget it. It was unbelievable. So there's a, he's got a lot of music, so hopefully he'll release it um, someday, and, and we'll see. Yeah, we'll get to it. Now, the uh, It's Alive album is instrumental, but you have worked over the years with Desmond Child, who is just one of the greatest sort of songwriters in, in our time. Um, and of Absolutely. Course, uh, talk to me about working with, with Desmond, and then we'll, we'll sort of work our way over to the, you know, the Scorpions album and the Meatloaf album, and um, by the way, that Scorpions album, Humanity Hour One, I love it. I don't know. I don't care what anybody says. I think it's a great piece of, of rock. Um, but to, what's it like working with Desmond? Because you do come sort of from the instrumental side in your own albums. And here is this major songwriter. And what's it like working with him? Yeah, it is not easy. Here's the reason why. You have to be so great to work with Desmond Child. He, I've seen him in the studio make people cry <laughs> because you have to be so great. He wants greatness and he's not going to settle for anything less. And luckily, I've just given him everything that he asked for and we've had, you know, like... He's like, give me this or give me that. I want it like this. I want it like that. And I'll do it right away. Thank God. You know, so um, he is a tough one and he is a genius. I really think he is a, a genius. He's oh, he is one of the, our greatest songwriters. So uh, I'm very proud to have worked with him uh, and I've worked with him quite a bit. Uh, what was the process like working for him? Do you sort of come in and just do the musical arrangement and he provides lyrics or, or do you provide lyrics or is it a give and take equal? What's sort of the, the modus operandi of you and Desmond sort of concocting songs like Hour One for, uh, for the Scorpions? Well, we'll work on the music, but okay. then not, not, for the, not for the Scorpions, but for other other things we've worked on, he'll make me work on lyrics with him. And I'm horrible. I'm horrible at lyrics. See, I know what my strengths and weaknesses are. And luckily I'm, I understand that I'm not good at certain things where other people are like, Oh, I'm great at everything, which that is not the case with me. So, um, sometimes he'll make me work on lyrics and, you know, I have no idea. All I know about is guitars, tits, and monsters. That's all I know about. So if you don't want lyrics with any tits or guitars or monsters in it, I'm the wrong guy. Is that why you've <laughs> gone to all instrumental? Because you're no, no jokes aside. Um, Leonard Skinner, uh, Gods and Guns, Last yeah. of the Dying Breed. Uh, you had a chance to, to, to perform and, and con contribute. 
Uh, but I just want to talk to you about Ricky Medlock. Here is a guy who has been in the business probably longer than you and I have been alive. Um, yes. But yet somewhat underrated when we have the conversations about the greatest guitarists, guitarists in the world. We, you know, Eddie Van Halen, Ace Frehley, Bob. We seem to sort of forget him. Talk, talk to me a little bit about working with him and just working with that band because it is just another. I mean, you, you make me jealous, by the way, with all the people you've worked with. But just talk to me about Ricky and working with them. Yeah, it was. You know, it's funny because, again, I'm a huge Skinner fan. I know every single one of their songs, just like millions of other people around the world know all of their songs, all of their records, their history, everything. So I got a call, um, but it wasn't made by Skinner. It was made by their like publishers and they were going to put together a record and they were like, Hey, we should bring your songwriter, John five down to meet with Skinner and write some songs. And my publisher was like, sure. And their publisher was like, great. So we w we met in Nashville. I flew down to Nashville. And they knew someone was coming down, okay? And they didn't really do much research on it. They just knew someone was coming down to write songs. So at this time, it was really cold in Nashville. It was like wintertime. So I land, and I had this, you know, I don't know how many years ago this was, but it was a long time ago. I'm really bad with years. Um, so I walked into the, the, the room where they all were and there's Gary and Ricky and Johnny and, you know, and I walk in and I had this big black fur coat on, I had no eyebrows. I had two different color shoes on, you know, and I look like, you know, just like how I look, I look like something that was, you know, like an alien and they we're like, what is going on here? They really thought like someone was pulling a joke on them. And I was like, Hey guys, you know, and I think, you know, they, they didn't, they really didn't understand it. But then I sat down and I started playing some like Chet Atkins or something. And they were like, Oh, okay. And they got it. And then we wrote some of the greatest music in my mind, you know, like some, some of these songs that I'm so proud of, there, you know, of all the songs I've written in my career, there's a song called Gifted Hands. And I'm so proud of that. And it's about their, you know, piano player, Billy and stuff, and who who passed. And it's one of my favorite songs that I've written. It's really, really cool. So I love those Skinner guys. Talk about great people. Oh, my God, I love those guys so much. Yeah, and I, I've actually had a chance to interview Ricky, and he was so incredibly nice. It was unbelievable. Uh, Ricky, Ricky is so talented. He, he's one of those guys that he's just a natural. He's so smart, such a great player. Unbelievable, unbelievable. I love him. Yeah, yeah. Just, just I, I agree. Um, last album, uh, Season of the Witch. Uh, you have stated that is by far your favorite solo album. Uh, now that we have the live album, do you concentrate on making the next studio album or is it back to focusing on Rob Zombie and, you know, where, where's the focus as we move forward? Uh, the focus, you know, I'm going to tour this live record and which a lot of bands don't do nowadays, but in the seventies growing up, live albums were the rage and the bands toured their live records. So for an example, Kiss Alive 2, there's a Kiss Alive 2 tour. They made tour books. They made, you know, a tour to promote this record. And that's what I'm doing. Because a lot of bands nowadays are like, like at Christmas or whatever, they're like, here's a live record, but I'm going to do It's a Live Tour, you know? And, uh, support this record so i'm working as well on the new zombie record which is you know i i haven't said this before but by far there's no comparison this is the best zombie record that he's ever done by far no comparison and um we are we are putting uh you know just working on that 
and I'm so proud of it. It's definitely his Sergeant Pepper for sure. That, that's so. interesting because I mean, you know, you, you you listen to a Gene Simmons or a Paul Stanley interview, and they're always saying, "Oh, our next record sounds it's Destroyer meets Revenge, the greatest thing we've ever done." Um, but I actually uh, truly believe you when you say that. W- what is it that makes this one so special and so unique? Is it just the songwriting? Is it is it the music? Is it everybody's in the right state of mind? What's sort of coming together to make this one sort of the perfect storm? You know, I'm glad you asked that because. A lot of people say, you know, oh, it's just our greatest record. And I don't say that. When it, whatever I say is so honest when I'm doing interviews. So I think it's our best record. First of all, Rob did incredible with the lyrics and the melody. Unbelievable. So what, we, what he did this time around, we did it. I don't even know if he wants me to talk about this, but how we went about it is we would usually, me and Rob would come up with some music. He'd be like, I like that music, and let's write to that music. I'm going to write my lyrics and melody to that music that we just created. So what happened this time is he wrote lyrics and melody to like drum beats and sounds. And he came up with the in my opinion, the hookiest, most (laughs) memorable lyrics and melody that he has ever. And what he did is brought me in and then we worked on the music and it was unfucking believable. It just worked so well. So I cannot wait. I don't have a release date, but I cannot wait for people to hear this record. I just texted him last night and I said, you know, it's like, I'm so excited about this record because it is by far his best work. I can't, I can't wait to hear it. Um, I, I want to take your real, before we, we wrap up back to some of what I consider some of your best work here is the uh, David Lee Roth band album DLR. And, and of course you had Ray Luzier who's in corn, uh, on that you played on 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 selected tracks um, just talk to me about that album we all know that there's this unreleased david lee roth album that at some point will hopefully come out but what was it like working with this larger than life personality and, and being on one of his records well i mean he's my hero of course van halen they were my heroes and how it all came together you know i'll try to make it a short story but it's you know, this is the God's honest truth. And it's so strange how things happen. I was sitting on my friend's couch and, you know, I love Van Halen, just like you or anybody else. And I was sitting on the couch and I saw Crazy from the Heat book. And I was looking at his bookshelf and I thought, I wonder what Dave is doing. Because he was kind of in limbo, you know. And I said to myself, I'm going to call his management on the back of the book and I'm going to ask him, I asked them if they need any songs. So that's what I did. I said, Hey, are you guys looking for any music? And I was nobody, nobody. It's just like if a kid called you and said, Hey, do you need someone? And you were like, Oh, well maybe, you know? So anyways, they said, yes, you can send some music, you know? So why not? So I went in there in the studio and, you know, I know every Van Halen lick and riff there is. And I came up with music that is, uh, I sent him slam dunk. I sent him great, you know, great tune. Thank you. I sent him like black light and little Texas, I think. And, uh, you know, of course, without lyrics or melody or anything, I just sent them the music and they were like, we love this. And so can you send three more? And I sent three more and, you know, they said, well, come and meet Dave. And Dave was like, I love this. This is great. Let's make a record. And uh, it's pretty much how it all came together. It was like such a magical thing. And we recorded at we started recording at 6 a.m. in the morning and uh, because I had rehearsal with Rob Halford at noon. And, you know, if you have a rehearsal with someone at noon, you're thinking, okay, well, let's, you know, I can be 
in the studio with you, Dave, at 6 p.m. But he didn't want me after I rehearsed with Rob because he thought I would be tired and stuff. Right. So he wanted me fresh. So we we recorded that record at 6 a.m. in the morning. I'll never forget it for <laughs> the rest of my life. Driving to the studio and the sun was coming up. I'll never, ever forget it. That's that's nice and early. Um, I'll finish with this here. Uh, you were born in 1971. So by, you know, 79, 80, you're into music. You're watching Van Halen. You're, you know, as MTV comes along, you see, and you look at your career. Uh, Meatloaf, Scorpions, Rob Halford, David Lee Roth. You've written with Paul Stanley. You've written with Desmond Ch- How do you sort of look at it from that kid's perspective, thinking, I've been with, I would imagine, all my heroes at this point. How do you sort of take stock of your career and and just go, wow, this is like super cool, (laughs) you know? It's it's strange because I never, you know how when you're you're a, a young boy, a young kid, you dream of certain things. I never dreamt of this. It was too far off. It was too far off. It was like me dreaming that I could pick up a house or something. I just didn't dream that far. I wanted to be a session musician. So I never thought that I'd be friends with the guys in Kiss or Van Halen. Or I never thought that in a million years. I just wanted to be a guitar player. And I wanted to be a session musician. So I never dreamt of being on that big stage. I never dreamt of signing an autograph. I never dreamt of someone wanting to do a a photo shoot or an interview with me. And that's the God's honest truth. Because I just thought it was too, like, beyond, you know, like, I just didn't, didn't even think about it. I was so young. And it kind of all happened by accident. And that's why I appreciate it. And I don't take it for granted when we're about to go on stage and you've done eight shows in a row and you're exhausted and you're sick. I have never, not once, not given my, you know, thousand percent. I'm so lucky and thankful for what is going on. I, you know, I, I still can't believe it. Let me just ask, just to, to follow up on that, was there sort of one specific moment where it went from the unrealizable dream to, oh man, here I am? Like, was there was there an artist or a manager or somebody that just sort of plucked you out, or was it just a heart? Like, was there this one moment where you went from fan who couldn't dream it to this is real? Yes. You know what? First of all, great question. Because there is, you know, I, I was with Rudy Sarzo and we were doing things, but I never had that feeling like, whoa, this is it. Except for there was one time where I was like, this is a, a, this is, this is it. (laughs) And I was with Katie Lang. I'll never forget it. I was with Katie Lang and it was probably, I don't know, 96 or something like that. And we were playing the VH1 Fashion Music Awards, first annual. And we, the curtain opened, and (laughs) in the front row, I'll never forget it, was Prince, Madonna, Peter Gabriel. And they were all right there. Prince, Madonna, Peter Gabriel, you know, they were all right there. And they were looking at me. And I was like... You know, I got chill. I was, I freaked out, you know, and then I got off stage and I called my sister and I freaked out. I was like, I can't believe this. Did you, you, know? did you see That's, that? It, did you see insane. that? So that must've been, a, and of course, uh, from the Canadian perspective, it's great that that moment happened with KD Lang because she's, she's, you know, I don't want to say an unsung hero because she's obviously been heard of but she she's a great great talent that doesn't get enough recognition I oh think. yeah yeah i mean i have chills right now that's how much it affected me it really affected me i was like whoa this is like really 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 intense how it can happen how you know the moments you know <laughs> it's and, crazy and i still have moments like that in my life 
You know, I still, I, you know, I've played the biggest, biggest shows of, you know, that a, a human being can play. I played every arena. I played every hall. I played every place. And, but it still happens now and again. And it happened not too long ago. I was playing the whiskey a go-go with the creatures, you know, with my own instrumental yeah. thing. The place was completely, utterly packed. Everybody had a John Five shirt on. And Rob Zombie was there. Uh, Slash was there. Steve Vai was there. Um, Steve, you know, like everybody was there. Like the place was completely packed and it was instrumental music. It was crazy. And it was for you. That, that, it was for you. And it was for me. And it was so weird because let's be honest, this is instrumental music. It's a hard sell, but it, people come out and they see it and they love it, you know, cause it's like an Alice Cooper instrumental type show. So it was one of those times where I was like, Oh my God, you know, this is, and the place went absolutely bonkers. And it's, you know, the whiskeys were, you know, I played a zillion times in my life, you know, and it was just, you know, it's just a very, it was a, you know, you have these moments and we had, sorry to like keep talking, but I no, get no, so no. excited. We had this moment again with Rob Zombie with Not Fest just recently. It was such a magical show. <laughs> and then another zombie moment. And me and Rob talked about this. Another zombie moment was when we played Chicago open air with kiss and we were both little kids. We turned into little kids. We're like, and there are friends, but it was different. You know, it was different. It was like, Whoa, here, look at, look at, and it was just such a great show. And so, you know, people listening to this, these musicians that you love, they still have these moments in their lives where it's special and it gives them that feeling. Yeah, and, and as fans, we 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 still appreciate those moments because you still go out to a Kiss show, and you know you can say, "Oh, it's not a Kiss show from 1970s." It doesn't matter. It's still no. It, there's still the magic there, and um, and by the way, uh, I yeah. should quickly mentioning Kiss, uh, people should definitely check out your version of uh, Fractured Mirror on the Art of Malice album from uh, 2010. Which oh is, yeah, uh, but. Uh, yeah, just you know. Anyway, hopefully we can get you to to Canada soon and uh, experience this ourselves because it's just it's it's great. The the it's alive. It's great. Right. It, it it sounds great. It's got that live energy. It's not pro tooled to death or pro tooled at all. No, not at all. And, not at all. It's just and there's not even there's not even like we didn't even add crowd to it. It's just you know because you you know, you can't match that. It's like, it's not this huge roaring crowd. It's like the crowd that was there. And then we're playing that place again. And I'm going to say, I'm going to hold up the record and I'm going to say, whoever was at this show, you're on this record. You know, there was nothing was added and this is it. <laughs> you'll, you'll have to record It's Alive 2 uh, the next time you play yeah. there. Uh, John, you, great... I, you, 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 I like you. I like, <laughs> thank you. Uh, great pleasure. Uh, always, always a pleasure. And, uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Great interview. Thank you. Cheers. You're listening to rock talk with Mitch LaFon. rock talk. Well, that was certainly a lot of fun. Always, always a pleasure talking to uh, John five. We will move over to Loverboy and guitarist Paul Dean, and we will explore his connections to KISS. Of course, John Five talked about the uh, It's Alive album being sort of, uh, I don't want to say stolen, but inspired by the KISS Alive albums, and of course his friendship with Peter Chris. Paul Dean, on the other hand, uh, the band, like I said at the top of the show, opened for KISS in November 1979 in Vancouver, their first show ever, and yes... Paul covered the Paul Stanley written track Sword and Stone, so we get into that. Um, it is it is my 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 
dedication to Kiss that, that I bring you these two artists, I guess, right? Some kind of weird thing. But anyway, uh, without further ado, here is the one, the only, from the great Canadian band. No, no, let me let me start that again. From the iconic Canadian band, Loverboy, here is Paul Dean. We are speaking with guitarist Paul Dean of iconic Canadian band, Loverboy. Uh, Paul, great pleasure to talk to you again. Yes, it's been a while. Actually, you're going to have to remind me. It's been so long, I don't even remember when it was. It was uh, probably about a year ago, in fact. And I had a chance, actually, to actually after that, in May, to go meet you in Saint-Hyacinthe, Quebec, at a show that you did there. And, uh, wow, what a show. Oh. What a show, by the way. Um, well, what an audience. I mean, I remember we played Quebec a couple times last summer, and, like, I think it was... Before, like we, you know, when we end the set, and luckily we got an encore both nights we played there. But the, the the section of you know after the last tune before the encore, at both nights the audience broke into it. It must have been a hockey chant or something, and that only happens in either in Europe or in in because uh, it happened in England when we were there or in Quebec, and I don't know. It's it's kind of like. I think maybe Mutt Lang was at one of one of a show in Quebec when he heard that whoa 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 whoa. I'm sure that's where he got that idea from. Yeah, that oh hey oh hey oh hey oh hey. That that's what we always do. Yeah, in Quebec. well you <laughs> you heard it. You were there. You I was know there. What I'm talking about. Uh, well, in fact, let, let's start there. There's so much to talk about, but let's start with the live show and the importance of the live show because, like I said, I saw you at that gig in Santia Sand and. The band was just spot on. I mean, the, the energy was there. The showmanship was there. The songs, of course, we know are there. Uh, just how important is the live show for the band and, and what you do and what you've done over the last, you know, three decades? The live show is, that's what we got. That's what we, we live and breathe for. That's what we have. All this stuff that we've done in the past has all been, I don't know, helping to keep it alive you know we we uh we love to play we love to play like we love to play the songs and we love to play with each other and uh we play to each other and 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 uh, i know i do I, I try to sneak in you know stuff all all night long and hopefully that i'm going to get a kind of a, a snicker or a sly look from my bandmates who are gonna you know go yeah i heard that you know, either good or bad at least it's you know, I try to be, I try to feed off and to the other guys in the band. And, uh, it all, it comes from such a mutual respect that we have for each other musically. And, uh, it's, uh, when, when we get, and we do click, we click, I mean, we click every night, some songs we might go, Oh, what happened there? But for the most part, it's every song, every night of, of, uh, a groove it's got to have the groove and then you like i said then you can get a little bit tricky around it so that's especially working with with a drummer like matt for i mean he is the king of the groove and uh, so the two of us get get locked in a, into a, into the pocket as they say and it's uh it's pretty awesome i mean otherwise why would i travel 16 hours a day to get to the gig if it wasn't amazing for me personally so that this is why we do it. We love to play, and we're, we're, we're I'm personally blown away that we can still do it. And not, I, not the, and I'm just going to say at such a high level too. Them. Well, yeah, physically it's very demanding. Not so much on me as I as I always tell Mike I see him and Matt come. Matt's soaked every night when he comes off stage, wringing out his clothes onto the dressing room floor, and and Mike he Matt and Mike put out such an effort every night. I like to say I just need to work on my fingers and sing a little backup to one of the most amazing singers in rock. But these two guys, and Doug's the same, you know, we just, we work on our fingers and don't do a whole lot other than contribute whatever we can, the power and the, and the melodies and, and the, the groove and the little, little parts and that. But those two guys are, they're the kings at what they do. And it's unbelievable. I could never do what those guys do at that level. I mean, I don't. I don't think there's that many people who could. I mean, when I sing, it's like it's kind of like a little bit louder than when I talk. When Mike sings, every note is from the from his 
I don't know. The core. It's from his core. Um, Exactly. That's the word. It's from his core. And he sings so hard every every note. I mean, and he's he's got this most amazing mic technique, too. Um, I see comments about it all the time. For the most part, I have him in my, my, obviously, in my in-ear so that I can hear him to sing along with him. And it sounds pretty even, you know, the high notes and the powerful notes. And then he'll he'll move the mic. It's kind of like it's the strangest mic technique i've ever seen but it works you know he's 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 his own volume control it's pretty cool yeah no he's great um last album 2014 was unfinished business since then you've released uh various singles stop the rain hurting some like it hot Uh, talk to me sort of about that new approach of releasing one song at a time getting it out on youtube having fans participate in the making of the videos uh, because, you know, we, you're lover boy. You have enough hits that you can just put your name on a marquee and play a show. You don't need new material, but yeah, you're still doing this. But why sort of the well, one song? Yeah, that's true. We don't really, I guess we don't need to. I mean, we could, I, I always say that lover boy, the current band I'm in is the ultimate lover boy tribute band. Cause you know, we, we play the hits and we don't generally speaking, we haven't played any new stuff for a while. And, uh, why that is, I'm not exactly sure, but, uh, I, you know, you got to go with the flow and, uh, we keep, uh, I just, I have this passion. I, I don't care what we've done in the past. The past is past, you know, I'm always striving to put out new stuff. It's just cause I, I love doing what I'm doing. So I'm, I'm the driving force behind that. And, uh, but, but is know, there still a place in the marketplace for a new album or is it okay just to live on on the hits? Because you know, if you go to a show and a Lover Boy show and you don't hear "Working for the Weekend," well, you're probably going to go home disappointed. So, how important is it for you then to get into the studio and get out the ten next songs? It's it's pretty important. I'm actually I'm working on it on my next solo album. It's it's coming along really great. I'm real happy with it. I played it for a few people, and they they've they've given me their their opinions of it. You know, and uh, pretty positive. So. It's it's an obsession, I guess, with me. I, that's just what I I love to do. I love to make music, and if I if I'm not playing live, which obviously I'm not doing twenty four seven, in the meantime I'm working on new stuff, and that's been kind of the the whole way through. I'm I'm always working on new new material. I just can't help myself. That's just what I do, you know. I'm, it's 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 kind of like some people play video games because that's that's their passion. My passion is. It's also on a computer, but it's making songs. It's like I have all these puzzles that I love to put together. And when you solve the puzzle, you got a song, you got a record. And it, and then we just put them out, you know. And if people want to buy them, they're there to buy. Or if they want to just stream them on Spotify for basically zip, you know, you pay your 10 bucks a month or Apple Music or whatever, uh, go for it. Or you can watch it on YouTube for free. I mean, whatever you want to do, but it's, here you go. It's kind of my, the way I see it is besides the fact that I can't help myself, I just got to do it. But it's kind of like, it's, it's the way I see it is we're probably not going to make anything out of it. So fine. We're still able to go out and make a decent living playing live. And that's really, that's what this is all about. I mean, that's truly, if I had to, I, I was going to say, if I had to stop making new music or had to choose between that and, and stop playing live, playing the, the hits. I don't know what I would do. I would be a real, <laughs> a real drag trying to figure that one out. Real but, conundrum. Um, uh, now you mentioned that yeah. there's a new album coming, a new solo album. So I, I, that I do want to get into because one of my questions was when is the next new solo album? But but I want to go just quickly because you also mentioned computers. Hardcore, the the first solo album, recently made available on all the digital platforms, which was fantastic. Finally, to, to have it out there. Um, talk to me about the making of that album, because it must have been bittersweet. Here you are, you know, Loverboy had sort of officially disbanded, and, and, and there must have been some animosity in the air with you and Mike, and now you're going in. Was it sort of, um, you know, I'm going to prove who, who, you know, was it one of those, or was it like, no, I'm just going to make some music and move along, and it is what it is? It was there's never been, I mean, there's been, there's been days with Mike and me, like, get out of my face, and the next day, I love you, man. But, I mean, there's never been anything that's, that's torn us apart and say, we, I don't want to work with you ever again. It's never, that's never happened. What happened was, I mean, we were, 
you know, I had a bunch of songs and Mike didn't, he couldn't hear them himself. I mean, he heard, literally heard them, but he, he went, you know, that's not really my thing. That's a little, little too metal or a little too something, or I can't, I, I don't feel those lyrics. For the most part, we've been, Mike and I have been on the same page lyrically, and we've written a lot of tunes together, uh, lyrically, and, uh, and we've been, we've tailored them for him to sing. And, uh, you know, well, I mean, a lot of times if we're writing a song, we'll just go line by line and, and he'll sing something. I'll go, that's really cool. And I'll add something to it. And he goes, that's kind of cool. But what if we did this to that? And pretty soon there you got another song, you know? So that's kind of how we work. And, uh, but as, as for Sword and Stone and Draw the Line, for instance, the two singles off the album, he didn't, he just didn't, wasn't him at the time. And uh, Dirty Fingers, he he heard and he went, it's too, it's too something for him. And I went, well, it's not too something for me. I dig it, you know? So I just decided, uh, I got what I consider to be pretty decent songs. Who knows if it's a hit, what, 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 what's a hit, but it's, I like them pretty, pretty cool tunes. I had, I don't know, nine or 10 or whatever it is. And, uh, let's do it. And Columbia, uh, records at the time, now called Sony, they were, we were, I was, I was signed through the band. I was signed to Columbia and they got behind that album. It was amazing what the, what that support I got from them and from, from my management guys and, uh, actually toured. I put a little band together with, with Matt on drums who wouldn't use Matt Burnett if he's not, if I'm not touring, he's not touring. So come on, Matt, let's do this. And we, there he is, you know, plus he recorded a couple of tracks on the record and, uh, so yeah, it was nothing about I'm going to show you, Mike Reno. Forget that. It was uh, um, I'm going to do this tour for a little while. And I I think it might have been I don't know what happened, but I mean why we why I uh, decided to take some time to tour. I guess we were maybe Lover Boy was between albums or it's, it's to be honest, it's a little fuzzy time wise. I right. you know the, the timeline back then. I don't, I don't know why I, I, I was just, I was blown away that we actually had a little tour opening for bad company. We, uh, we did uh, a 10 day tour, a short tour with, with opening for, with Brian housing and lead and that itinerary, that, uh, version, I should say of, uh, of bad company. So that was, that was a real honor to do that too. Yeah. And what's, what's great. You mentioned sword and stone, of course, written by Paul Stanley and Bruce Kulik of kiss draw the line by of course, Brian Adams and Jim Valance and under the gun, John Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora. So you, you had sort of the creme de la creme, uh, handing you songs for this album. Just, a, just a great album. Um, now you mentioned the new oh, I appreciate album. That. Yeah. I mean, it, it, listen, the, that version of draw the line and of sword and stone, are just it's pretty different that that version of draw the line huh? it's pretty different yeah yeah and you know it's funny you, you mentioned that because to be honest i had no idea that i guess nugent uh, released that prior to it and maybe mike knew that and that's why he didn't want to do the tune i had no knowledge of that i just went this is a cool tune brian gave me the song personally he says here's one here's a here's a song for you for lover boy and i suspect that maybe i might have played it for mike and he went uh or whatever, and then I probably had it sitting around in, in in my my little bag of goodies for who knows how long. It might have been two years for all I know. And in the interim, maybe maybe Nugent did release it. And uh, anyway, uh, yeah, and and we did a we did a pretty cool video for it. And I'm I don't know if it was ever released, but apparently Sony has the master. It would be a beta tape now, I guess. That's what what we used back in the day for master. What nothing was done digitally; it was all done. Well, I don't know. On beta. I mean, now, of course, it was all yeah, all done on tape. Yeah. Nugent uh, released that on his Penetrator album back in '84, uh, and Brian Adams has himself now released it on his uh, Reckless 30th Anniversary box set that came out, I guess, last year. No. Oh, cool! I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. wow! When did that come? That must have come out in in. Must have come out in 2015, I guess, because, right, 30 years from... But, yeah, no, just great versions of that. Um, but your new solo album, in terms of musically, do you, do you go back to the sound on uh, hardcore, or are you are you trying something new? Is it experimental? Are you it's, doing blues? Like, what what's the new album? 
Well, you know, I did a, I did a second album called Machine, which was more of a blues album. And uh, this album is, it's got some metal. What I consider to, I mean, as far as I, it's not metal in that, that voice. It's me singing it, but it's pretty crunchy guitar. And, uh, um, uh, and I got some, uh, I got a couple of ballads, which I've never released before. I just, it's funny, but I think I just finally learned how to sing. It's crazy, but I'm, it's a completely different approach from, especially from the hardcore album where I was singing really high and really hard. Whereas now I'm singing, I'm singing down kind of like a more of a, if, if I, I mean, I would never compare myself to, to John Mayer, but that's kind of, he kind of inspired me in that, Hey, you don't need to be putting out at the, I mean, Mike does a great job of it. Me, not so much. So I'm kind of, doing what I can do vocally. It's, it's tailored around my vocals more. And, uh, so like I say, there's a couple of ballads, there's a couple of, couple of metal things, and there's a, there's some dance stuff and some, some sequenced electronic stuff and a lot of stuff that Matt once again is playing on. And, uh, when, when yeah, do you think that'll get released? Very, well, I'm probably going to be doing what I've been doing. I don't know if I'm going to be putting on an album. I might, I might put a compilation of them out, maybe, who knows, in a year, two years, I don't know. But in the meantime, I'm going to start, I'm going to start popping out singles shortly. Don't know exactly when. I mean, it's kind of a, I wish I could say today because what a great opportunity, but it, it's getting really close. That's all I can say. I mean, I don't want to say months, but yeah, I would hazard months within, within a month or two. Oh, that's fantastic. So, and does that yeah. give us a, a Paul Dean tour of some of some sort? Do, do you sort of show up in, in Canadian clubs and do a few dates? like, Or is it like, no, this is just, we'll put these songs out and I'll go back and do Loverboy? I'm not going to let anything interfere with Loverboy's touring. Just like any nobody in the band would do that to, to the guy, the other guys in the band, or the, especially the crew. We, we would n- never do that to interfere with that. So if we get a show, if, if, if I booked a tour and, and said to everybody, hey, guess, guess what, I'm going out in June, July, and August to do the Paul Dean tour, that wouldn't be right, you know? That, would, that would, wouldn't be cool. Because we're, this is what we love about does. we tour. We love to tour. We're, we play, we'll play. If we can get there and survive, <laughs> sleep-wise and schedule-wise, we're probably going to do the show if it comes our way through the agents or whatever, however the big machine works, you know, the show comes to us and we look at it and we go, we, we look at it on the map and go, are you kidding me? It's going to take seven weeks to get there, you know, but, uh, for the most part, we'll, we'll do it. So that's kind of how we do it. We, I'm so short answer. Well, too late for the short answer. Sure, right. <laughs> Lover boy uh, first. I, I, um, let yeah, me ask you about right. Get Lucky, the the album. That is sort of the one that, well, maybe it's not fair to say, but to me is the one that sort of brought you to the greater prominence. The album cover, of course, is very, very iconic. Uh, working for the weekend, the song has been uh, used ubiquitously in commercials and in movies and everywhere else. Uh, and, of course, you wrote uh, Jump. It had Brian Adams writing that with Jim Valens again. Talk to me about that album, and, and did you sense a change at that time when that one came out? That yeah, this this makes a difference. This this is the one. Well, you know, our, our first album was it, not to be not to be plugging my new album, but my new album is a lot like Loverboy's first album in the in the diversity, the the, the, the variety of styles. Right. So our first album was extremely varied, and I don't know. It's just after after playing live more because we hadn't played at all as a band when we released that album. Well, we had a little bit, but, uh, actually I take that back. We, we, we played a lot of shows, but those are the tunes that when we wrote them, we hadn't played together at all. It was like, whatever came to mind. I said, this is a cool tune. Don't know if it fits with everything else, but it's a cool song. So it adds a standalone song. But as we started playing live, it, we kind of got the more of a powerful vibe to it, I guess the band and maybe that's i don't know how it got refined but that's that's just what the songs that we happened to be writing at the time you know i mean we, we were on tour 
with uh, with the, doing the first album. I remember, for instance, in in Montreal, and uh, I in those days I did a, a, a guitar solo before some song. I just I would play for I don't know five minutes just by myself and just free form, just wing it and, and writing the riffs and that. I remember going. And coming up with the the, the get lucky theme, the, the intro to it. Yeah. And I, I I I can't write music with beans, so I, I went to Doug afterwards. I said, "Do you remember that riff that I was playing in the solo?" And then I'm I'm doing. I said, "Would you write that out for me?" Because I didn't have a recorder. I didn't have any way of putting it down. So and I couldn't write it down because I like I said I don't know how really. And uh, he says, "Yeah, sure." So he wrote me a little chart for the chords and the, and the melody and everything. And, and here you go, just so I could remember what it was. So that was the beginning of Lucky Words, just that that riff. And then uh, I took it took it home back to Vancouver and, and finished it. And working for the weekend was uh, it was tough. That, was, that took a long time to figure that song out because there's a lot of changes, and a lot of parts, and key key changes left and right, and and. Uh, uh, I, once again, working to, we were at rehearsal, and I kind of had a little bit of the, the kind of the, the melody and the chord structure. I had some of the parts, but they all weren't work. I didn't know how to tie them together; wasn't making sense yet. And I, I remember, okay, I'm going to just try. It. Usually, I would do this by myself, usually because it can be pretty pretty silly. You go, well, what if I played this random chord here? Well, how would it sound? You know, or maybe I'll try this random chord. So I'm doing this, and Doug's standing there, and he starts laughing. He says, "What are you doing? You're, there's no, it makes no musical sense. You're just playing random chords." As well, I don't know. Got to try something, you know, to see if it'll work. But you know, it's funny because it might have been that same tour. I think it was that same tour in Montreal. Wow, that just just struck me now. Yeah. Because I had a I had a little ghetto blaster that I always carried with me. Just like a little tape recorder. That's just a little. It kind of looks like a like a Walkman. Like a well, it was a Walkman, it was but it had a, Walkman, a microphone yeah. built into it. Right. Yeah, but it had a mic into it. So that was my. I used to record into that, and I I had a little uh, metronome or something. So, but I remember it finally coming together. It once again in Montreal in a hotel room. I started playing all the parts, and it just clicked. The transitional chords came together, and all the parts and the, and the the. Uh, the structure of the song just laid itself out. They go, then it goes to this part, then it goes to this part, back to this part, and then it goes to the bridge here, and do a little wah-wah thing on the bridge, and there you go. Didn't have all the lyrics, but at least we had the structure and we had the melody. So, yeah, that, that, that Montreal in Montreal was, was, thank you very much. Yeah, you're, you're very welcome. Yeah, it's, it's funny, it, it, it ties it back to the beginning of the conversation, talking about... Those damn French Canadians, man, they're so inspiring. I don't <laughs> and, know what it and, is. And, and they are all working for the weekend. I can I can guarantee that. And uh, this story you've told me before, but I, I love hearing it. But um, November nineteenth, nineteen seventy nine, Pacific Coliseum, Vancouver, Loverboy's first gig is opening for Kiss on their Dynasty tour. Um, just just recount that for me once again. I mean, how, how do you get? that that slot and and i mean it, it, was it really the first first gig or is that just good sort of pr because i mean you, you must have played a club or a, or a high school gymnasium or something right it's fantastic pr because why because it's true 100 percent true it's bruce allen at his in his finest i, I couldn't believe it when he said and it, it made so much sense because the club owners the agents everybody's going to sit up and go what yeah, of course we've heard of Loverboy. They just opened for Kiss at the Coliseum in Vancouver, and that's true. I swear, without that's no lie. It but but it's so it's so remarkable, though, right? I mean, I know what an auspicious beginning to a band. It's incredible how Bruce could pull. I, I'm assuming, and I bet you there's probably tons of people out there know the background to it. But I personally don't know any different. But maybe there was another band that got held up at the border, or the singer got sick, or the guitar player got busted who knows what happened i don't know i mean and it was it wasn't that far in advance i don't think it was probably like guess what in three weeks you're opening for kids are you serious yeah and we and it's funny because we had uh we we'd rehearsed a little bit with and, and uh our dear friend jim clinch dearly departed who was with april wine and then uh wasn't with april wine 
and he was available. So we called him up knowing that he was an amazing singer and a, and a great guy musician. And, uh, so he was in the band for a, about a month, I guess. So we rehearsed it. We had this warehouse in North Vancouver. We rehearsed it. And, and I remember we, this is, we were, we were being pelted by uh, uh, toilet paper rolls, which was very strange, but at least it wasn't combs and quarters like it was the following week when we played the, the But it was club. a tradition I, back there, right? When you used to go to yeah, shows back I, in the guess, day, you would throw yeah. toilet paper. I, I, yeah. I, I did it when I went to see them in Montreal yeah, in 79. Well, I'd, never, I'd never seen that. I'd never experienced it. Uh, uh, but like I said, fortunately, it wasn't combs, quarters, and ice cubes like it turned into the following week when we hit the, hit the bars, playing the bars. But uh, And Jeremy Luce is next, and Jim comes over to me and says, how does this go again? Oh, right, okay, thanks, man. <laughs> and he walks back over to the spot, and Matt does a... on the keyboard, and there's Jim. And that was... That was, that was unbelievable. It, it really was, and of course, like we just said before, you, later on you had a chance to record a Paul Stanley song with Sword and Stone, so the, there's been that sort of interconnection going on. Um, geez, uh, Paul, always a pleasure to, to speak with you. Just just great all the time. Well, I sure appreciate the opportunity, and uh, you know we should do it again. Uh, yes. Maybe in a year. Yes, in a <laughs> Thank year. Thank you, Mitch. And, I appreciate it. <laughs> absolutely. And, and hopefully in 2018, we will see you in, uh, you know, Montreal on the East Coast again. Always a, always a great time at those uh, Loverboy shows. You know, we're, we're looks like we might be going back to New Brunswick. We just got an offer today. I don't know if we're, if we're going to for sure take it, but it's looking good. And I'm probably speaking completely out of turn because it hasn't even been approved, but, uh, we, but it's okay. it could very well happen. It could happen, could happen. and hopefully Montreal yeah. as well. Thank you, sir. Have a good have a good day. And it's thanks, man. Cheers. Bye bye. This is Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon. Mitch Lafon.